All right. Good morning, afternoon, evening, brunch time, lunch time. Who did not play quarterback for Tennessee this weekend time? Who the hell cares because Tennessee won time? Did not see that one coming time. But I think at least one guy on this podcast did see it coming time. Whatever time of day it is, it's the right time for the Go Vols 24-7 podcast. We're doing this a little bit different on this Monday morning, guys. I've got for the first two segments of this episode, uh, joined via satellite through the majesty of, uh, of Al Gore's internets. We've got co-workers uh, Patrick Brown and Ryan Callahan. And fellas, what's up? It's just magic is what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Via satellite, is that what we're calling it? I mean, yeah, via satellite, and, and we've got Pat's equipment's working just fine, and you're going to hear Ramy in the third segment. His equipment's working fine. Ryan somehow is not working perfectly, so we've got Ryan on through the old-fashioned cellular telephone. Uh, so we will, so we'll work on that. We're, we're remember, pardon our progress here. Pardon our progress. Much like Jeremy Pruitt's Vols guys, we are we are works in progress here. But um, I'll tell you. Jeremy Pruitt's Vols look pretty good on Saturday, guys. Tennessee, 41, South Carolina, 21. Who saw that coming? Pat, raise your hand. I'm raising my hand right now. I'm here with two doubters, two people who didn't believe. Um, I, me and Grant were the only two to pick the Vols. Uh, I think somebody pointed out on the board that it, it was odd that we were split because that almost never happens. There's usually only one dissenter or we're all, all on agreement, and this was one of the rare two-by-two situations. Um, I just, I don't I don't know I think Tennessee I'm not saying they've turned a corner but uh, I just felt like they had some good mojo coming out of the Alabama game and uh, obviously there was a lot of question marks about how uh, they were going to handle the quarterback situation with Brian Mauer being out uh, but they pieced it together uh, Jim Cheney had a great game plan called a lot of uh, great plays played to the strengths of their different quarterbacks and the, the result was 485 yards of offense uh, and I thought it would be a close game because the past seven Games of the series have been close, but yeah, final minute. Uh, yeah, Tennessee made sure it didn't get down to the final minute and, and had the thing wrapped up uh, about ten minutes to go in the fourth quarter when they blocked a punt and recovered it in the end zone for their second special teams touchdown uh, of the afternoon. Yeah, and, and yeah, I, th- I yeah, go ahead, Ron. Well, I was going to say I, I'm not surprised that that Tennessee won the game. Even oh, though I, I didn't am. pick Tennessee. I can't say that I'm shocked because I really could have seen it going either way. I am shocked though by how it played out. I mean, to to say. Anyone saw Tennessee winning that game by 20 points. I, I think that would, that would have taken quite a leap of faith. So, obviously, it was an unusual game somewhat with the two special teams touchdowns, as I'm sure we'll discuss a little bit more. Uh, but but Tennessee, you know, playing that well across the board and getting it done in such not, – not dominating, but controlling fashion, and certainly they dominated the second half, uh, that, that really was shocking. I, I think that was even more um, impressive than Tennessee had been the previous – two games or three games where they'd played better. This was a clear sign that they they're starting to learn how to win and not just play pretty well. So that was a, that was an impressive performance to me. And I definitely didn't see it coming. Yeah. I, I didn't see the result coming. I, I didn't see, I mean, I guess I wouldn't have been shocked if Tennessee had won, but I, I mean, I'm on the record. there saying that I, I picked Tennessee to lose the football game. I didn't think Tennessee was going to win it. And, and I'll tell you guys what, what really kind of, surprised me as much as anything was if you would have told me going into that game Tennessee win I wrote this in the column 
uh, the, I would have said three things if you had told me Tennessee wins that game by 20 points. If you told me 41-21 is the final score, I would have said, wow, um, are you high? Are you smoking something? And may I have some? That would have been the first thing. The second thing I would have said is, so I guess Brian Maurer played, right? So I guess he somehow made a miraculous recovery from the concussion protocol. And then the third thing would have been, boy, I bet Tennessee got every break in that football game, didn't it? Like just, you know, a couple plays that just shouldn't have gone Tennessee's way and they did, and a couple tough calls that, that Tennessee got that Carolina didn't get. I would have thought all three of those things would have needed to happen for Tennessee to win 41-21 to 21 because I, I don't think on an average field, on an average day, there's 20 points between those two teams at all. I, I don't. In fact, South Carolina had been the better team on paper. So, uh, But the way Tennessee did it in that game, uh, the, the first half, a, a lot of real, real adversity in that game. Guys, I mean, this is not like some, oh, you know, one little thing happened here or there, didn't go their way. This was a series of things. They don't have their best quarterback going into the game. The guy that they want to start, they can't start because he's going to get booed. So they basically put in a redshirt freshman who has never really started in his life, but even he doesn't really start because they go with a wildcat package to open the game, and they somehow finagle that into getting you know three points out of the first two drives. And then they go back in there with their other quarterback, and there's a couple boos, but not many. And they get just a series of, of bad plays that happen in the game. They had a 75-yard touchdown they gave up on the very first play of the game, which I think we all felt, uh-oh, so it's going to be that kind of party, huh? And then you had just a series of three or four just, I think, really, really pretty bad calls that went against Tennessee. And then a couple plays Tennessee just didn't make, uh, didn't score on a, on a fourth and goal play from inside the one, um, you know, had to settle in the gray area for another field goal, just plays that, 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 that they couldn't they, – they don't normally overcome those kinds of things. And they overcame all of that. And in the second half, they just put a whooping on them. And, you know, you had Daryl Taylor going out for a while – um, you, you had two offensive linemen, starters, who were out for a while. One came back, one didn't. But the one who came back had to go to the other side of the field. I mean, Tennessee had some legitimate adversity in this game, guys, and overcame it. And that, to me, is the sign of, of kind of a culture starting to turn. Yeah, I, I thought it was a really good uh, game plan, really good uh, play calling on both sides uh, of the ball. Uh, and... and, and you know, we, we talked a little bit last week about J.T. Stroud, just some of the concerns Tennessee had about him operating the offense, uh, getting everything lined up, communicating play calls, protections, all that stuff. So uh, they kind of, I don't want to say dumbed it down, they went they went a little bit high schoolish with it, where they had a lot of times they would put Juwan Jennings back and run a wildcat play on first down, and then old-fashioned, uh, you know, tell J.T. Stroud to play and run him in on yes. second down. The Spurrier stuff. Um, the Spurrier yeah, stuff. that. Yeah, just just really, you know, you don't really see that a whole lot. You know, you saw it with Paul Johnson at Georgia Tech, but uh, that's a triple option that should only be run at service academies. But uh, they, they played to his strengths on offense. They didn't throw a lot over the middle with him. Um, they let him throw it deep a few times. He's good at that. We've all seen his arm strength and, and his ability to throw the ball down the field vertically. Uh, but they get everything outside the hashes, a lot of corner routes. Uh, those are relatively low-risk throws because if – uh, there's usually not double coverage out there. And if you're errant with your accuracy, which he's been a lot, you know, the ball will sell out of bounds. That's the worst thing. And you live in to find another, find another down. Yeah. The, the, uh, the risk, yeah, the risk there would be that you get behind the sticks, but other than that, there's not much risk. Yeah. And you're, you, you know, with where you are, with who you've got on that offense, I mean, you kind of have to take the, uh, the risk of being behind the sticks, but, and, and with Garantano in the game, they, they, 
push the ball all over the middle of the field. Uh, that's where um, that, that's where Juwan Jennings just shredded South Carolina. I mean, he was open all day running across the middle. Um, and, and that's what Garantano, that's what Garantano does best. They did a lot of max protect. Um, and, and I don't think they gave up a sack. And I was looking this up uh, on Sunday. You have to go back to the UMass game in 2017, last time Tennessee didn't give up a sack in a game. And you got to go back to 2015, the Vanderbilt game, where the last time Tennessee didn't give up a sack against an SEC team. So uh, really good pass protection all day. Defensively, uh, I think they had a good game plan. They said we're going to shut South Carolina's run down, which they did. The defensive line didn't put up a lot of numbers, but quietly did its job. And, and the result of that, them doing their job, was that Daniel Petulli had 15 tackles and, and Henry Toa had eight. So um, all, all around, excellent effort. You know, and then, you, then you throw in the two special teams touchdowns. All around team win. Uh, there was no doubt who the better team and who the better coaching staff was on Saturday, that's for sure. Yeah, and like you said, Wes, that the, the biggest thing to me is that they found a way to overcome some things that they haven't really in the past. And those are absolutely things that would have tripped up Tennessee uh, you know, with, outside of this recent stretch, really. Anytime over the past couple of years, for that matter, I think those things all could have been killers for Tennessee to not to not have your offensive line uh, stay you know, somewhat the same throughout the game, having to move around a freshman uh, who's one of your starters on the offensive line, having to play multiple quarterbacks, having to having to rely on Juwan Jennings in, in a package like that, and and not you know Garantano not staying in there the whole time, having to rely on JT Shrout to make some plays, um, just just to overcome all that, and, and even losing Daryl Taylor and Darrell Middleton on defense was a, was a pretty big deal, even though Taylor, Taylor wasn't out for a large stretch of the game, but uh, but Middleton was, and that's uh, he's been at least part of Tennessee's resurgence on the defensive line, and. Um, to, to, to overcome all that and, and put together a pretty complete performance that really when you take out the opening play of the game, they gave up 14 points to South Carolina. I mean, they had a lot of yards, but 14 points over the rest of the game while scoring 41 and finding different ways to do it. It was it was just really impressive. And like you said, kind of a, a program win in the sense that I think this really is a sign that the culture is changing a little bit, that everyone's really buying into to the progress they've made recently and that I think these players are feeling some momentum start to build, and that, that sometimes can be contagious and start to snowball just like a failure can snowball. Success definitely can when you get it rolling. Yeah, and the weird thing is it's like where did the success come from, you know? like It's like it has to start from somewhere, I guess, but they didn't have a lot to build on because they had some some better performances recently, and, and, and they found a way to, to, to beat Mississippi State. But other than that, they really hadn't you know, had a bunch of big momentum plays to kind of build or momentum moments to kind of build into this. And it just kind of happened. And, and it's like, it, it, it's, it's so, it's going to be so bad, but it just reminds me of that thing that Derek Dooley used to say about watering bamboo, that you just keep watering it and you just keep watering it. And eventually it just explodes. And when it starts, it really starts. And, and I don't, I'm not saying this was like a sea change on Saturday. I don't think one game, I think we need to be very careful about not putting too much into this, um, but acknowledging it for what it was, which was impressive. But it just seemed like they just kind of found a way to do some stuff and they kind of learned to grow and learned how to overcome things. Because I was talking about the adversity guys. I didn't even talk about, you know, Daryl Middleton also not being able to play in the second half because of another targeting call. And, and Jeremy yep. Pruitt got into the act by getting a personal foul or, or an unsportsmanlike conduct penalty on him himself, just like Muschamp did the week before. I mean, they were all, there was a a lot of things. I mean, they had three times in the first half, three times, and maybe four, but definitely three times in the first half, South Carolina was given a touchdown that they had to go wipe off the board after they looked at replay. And the fourth one, I'm not sure he got in, but I don't think they had enough evidence to overturn it. 
So, because the referee apparently can't tell which hand the guy has the, which freaking hand the guy's got the ball in. That's another topic for another day. But they had a lot of adversity in that game. And I'm telling you, I, I don't want to make too much of it, guys. But when you look at the way Tennessee shut down the run in this game, when you look the way that Tennessee kind of controlled the line of scrimmage at times in this game, they did a lot of things that you really only normally see pretty good football teams do. Yeah, and, and and you talk you talked about you know they didn't have Latrell Bumpus either on the defensive line, so that's two starters they were down. Uh, I don't know how much Wanya Morris has actually played right tackle, uh, but when Darnell Wright goes out, you bring Jameer Johnson. I guess he's your your next best guy. He's can only play on the left side. You're not going to move Trey Smith, um, and so you had to play him at left tackle. And so Wanya goes and plays right tackle. He gets knocked out of the game for a while. They got to play Marcus Tatum. Uh, and those guys, uh, both those guys had some mistakes, but, you know, haven't played a whole lot lately. So you, you might expect them to be a little rusty at first. But, um, yeah, and, and I think it will get a little bit more into what this win means. But it, it, this one felt a lot, lot different than the three previous SEC wins of, of Jeremy Pruitt's tenure. Um, the, the Auburn and Kentucky games last year kind of felt like, I don't want to say perfect storm upset kind of things. Uh, that's just kind of... Maybe that's how maybe that's how it felt at the time. And I think Auburn, State, I think Auburn was, was napping last year. Uh, yeah, and and you know they had a good day against Kentucky too, and that was a good matchup for Tennessee. Uh, and then you go back to the Mississippi State game a couple weeks ago. I think everyone clearly knows now that Mississippi State's not very good, and and they're not a very well coached team, and they seem to be in sort of a tailspin at this point. But this was a thorough, thorough win, a fully deserved win where Tennessee coached better. And Tennessee played better in all three phases against a quality team. And I know South Carolina, I think, what, they're three and five. But, you know, two weeks ago they were winning at Georgia. Uh, and they seemed to have kind of – Had a lead on Florida in the fourth the thing, quarter. Yeah, they were. They seemed to have kind of turned the thing around um, in, in the middle of the season. And so they were they, they sort of reestablished an identity on offense and uh, looked to be kind of having their own midseason revival or, or they seemed to be kind of moving in the right direction anyway. And then Tennessee just goes out there and, and just pants them. I mean, it was it, that was as, as dominant a second half as Tennessee has played against a FBS or SEC team in a long time. And so you could kind of feel the energy in the stands. And it, you know, I think at one point fans were doing the wave, and I was like, "What are they doing the wave for?" And Grant and Grant leaned over and was like, "Let them be happy. <laughs> they're happy, and, and they were obviously fully enjoying." Um, what they're witnessing, and they should, because it's been a while since Tennessee has has dominated a, uh, a an, an opponent that hasn't been bad in a long time like that. Yeah, I, I think it was. I think fans could feel it. I mean, it, it was a clearly a game that was important to Tennessee. But I think, I mean, I, I had people who were at the game, recruits who were at the game, talking about just how loud that stadium was with with it with an announced crowd that was fifteen thousand short of capacity. So maybe eighty five thousand people or so in there, and yeah. every, and. I talked to people that said it was as loud Saturday night as it was for any game they've been to in the past. And maybe they weren't at the Florida or Oklahoma games a few years ago. But I, I think it's because the fans, I think, saw something. You know, it, it felt like the start of something, I think, to a lot of people in the stands. And, and maybe it was just the circumstances, how, how the game started to play out in the first half. Because the first half was pretty exciting. But, yeah, part of it was also just that. Tennessee was playing that well, and it has been that long since Tennessee's played that well. I, I think you touched on something important there. Tennessee did, I think, they coached really well in this game. I think I think Jim Chaney has started to 
sort of get into a rhythm with this offense, even as they've lost players here and there. I think they've got a much better feel now for what they do well, what they don't do well, that I just think they didn't have or they didn't seem to have the first month of the season when the quarterback play was less consistent. And now that they've sort of gotten better quarterback play from from now three different guys and they've gotten uh, the running game going a little bit with better line of scrimmage play, I, I just think they're, they're, they're figuring out the right time to dial things up. They're figuring out what to go to, what not to go to. And you clearly saw that on offense, and obviously they executed better on special teams. It's hard to ignore the impact of a punt return for a touchdown that was, I thought, huge at the time, and then a, a blocked punt that's recovered for a touchdown that kind of put it away in the fourth quarter. So uh, for, for Tennessee to get plays like that and to execute the way they did on, in all three phases, give, give a lot of credit to Tennessee's coaches because I think they've gotten a much better feel for this team throughout the year, and, and the players clearly have responded to what the way they challenged them after a really cha- challenging month of September, for them to stay in it this the way they have, you know, listen to boss coaches were saying instead of the outside noise. I, I just think it's an impressive job and, and, and a resilient effort over the past month on, on everybody's part to, to bounce back from that because I, I honestly wasn't sure where the season was going a month ago. And to see where they are now, it's a, it's a night and day difference from where this team was playing um, at, at Florida. You know, even in the the BYU game, which I thought wasn't a bad game, they're just they're playing much better now across the board. Yeah, I'm gonna throw out a couple stats for y'all here. Uh, when South Carolina played Alabama this year, it had 4.7 yards per rush. Uh, when South Carolina played Georgia this year, it had four yards per rush. When South Carolina played Florida this this year, it had an, uh, right there an average right at five yards per rush. Uh, against Tennessee on Saturday, South Carolina had 2.6 yards per rush and this was against a Tennessee defensive line that didn't have two of its you know main rotation guys so they're they're finding ways to win and they're 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 getting better where you have to be better which is on the line of scrimmage because they they've had to overcome some stuff here but they've started to put together a group that's playing pretty good football and I know South Carolina's had a grind of a schedule too but, you know, I mean, and I think I think that that game against Florida clearly took something out of the Gamecocks. You could just kind of tell mentally that was that one really, really bothered them. Um, and, and this is what happens in this league. If you let up, you're going to you're going to get, you know, crushed. And, and Tennessee kind of had a similar outcome on the road at Alabama in a game that it, it thought could have been closer. And, you know, it, it's it's interesting to me that I think Ryan hit on a really good point just there when he said that it's really, really difficult to get kids sometimes when you're not winning to buy into what you're doing because they they all have phones. They're all connected to the outside world. They all see the things that all of us are writing and saying, and even if they say they don't see it, they do. And for them to go out there and to keep fighting and to see the other side of this, I, I thought it might take another year. And it still might. I mean, this might be an aberration kind of like, you know, maybe Auburn was last year. But right now it doesn't really feel like that because it feels like these guys are starting to buy in. And you've seen it in in Jeremy Pruitt's pregame speeches and and stuff to some of the players when he said things like, guys, everybody in here knows where this program is going. Let's go show the world now. And I think that kind of adds up, doesn't it? I mean, they're kind of starting to show that – this is a bunch that that's learning and it's, it's kind of starting to pick up that pace pretty quickly. Yeah. And and I think the uh, one thing that's happened this month is you've gotten a lot better play from uh, a lot of your veteran players. And that's something that that Pruitt said after the Florida game was we need our, we need our good players to play better. Uh, And you've started to see that. And 
Um, you saw uh, in in this game particular, Juwan Jennings is he's he's been good all year. I don't know if that necessarily applies to him, but they feed off what his energy and the way he plays and how hard he is to tackle. Um, and they feed off him breaking tackles, and they feed off him uh, getting lit up, catching a touchdown pass, and holding on the ball. Um, they feed off Daryl Taylor when he's making plays off the edge like he was yesterday. They feed off Daniel Batuli, you know, meeting running backs in the hole and, and not giving up any ground. Uh, they, they feed off him playing extra snaps on special teams when he's already playing 70 a game on defense yes. and because there's nobody behind him. They feed off those. Uh, the veteran presence, Marquez Callaway makes a couple big plays uh, on Saturday. So that those guys are sort of starting to set the tone, and and a lot of these young guys are coming along too. I mean, Jalen McCullough starts at, at safety uh, on Saturday and, and has a mistake on the first play, but it settles in, gets a great block on the punt return, um, and, and is solid the rest of the way. And he's the seventh freshman, true freshman to start for Tennessee this season. That's I mean, they've only got 19 true freshmen, so that's – well over a third of the class is already playing a lot and starting. So um, you see some guys are setting the tone. Um, and, and Pruitt is, you know, he's said all season, we've practiced well, we work hard. He, he seems to, you know, his words early in the preseason and, and going into the season about liking this team are starting to come to fruition, and they're starting to sort of play like he he and the staff want him to play. Yeah, and, and talking with Kevon Bennett, the, the soft redshirt sophomore outside linebacker after the game Saturday night, he – I mean, he, he said some things about Jeremy Pruitt and, and just sort of the way the way the team responds to him that, that sort of, I think, it, point at what might be leading to this, that, you know, he's just a player's coach, that, that this team, you know, is, is, is sticking with him. You know, he, he said he, he'd give players the shirt off his back. You know, they, I think they've felt a different connection to him than, than what you saw throughout most of Butch Jones's tenure. There were certainly times his players responded to him that way, but I think, I think you have seen this team you know, being a little more willing to to stick with Jeremy Pruitt and to believe what he's saying because of how he's sort of been with them all along, and they see a consistency in the way he deals with them uh, from from day to day that I think is is appreciated. So, um, you know, sure, any coach is going to get on to you and, and be hard on you, but uh, when they, when they see him backing Jarrett Garantano, you know, I, I know people were bothered by that at times, but I think that stuff like that goes a long way with players. The fact that he stood by some of these guys as they've had struggles. I think all that ends up paying off in the end, and I think you're maybe seeing that in some of the ways Tennessee has bought into what what these coaches are saying, and now it's paying off on the field. But yeah, it, it's been it, it's been really impressive. That, that's the biggest thing to me is that I, I I wasn't sure like Wes. I thought it might take another year for them to really dig out of what they started in September, and for them to to be showing this, and for I mean we're looking at people now projecting Tennessee not just in bowl games, but we're, you know, we're seeing some early projections of Tennessee in the Gator Bowl. That means people are expecting Tennessee to maybe win out. Uh, and that's kind of the way it's starting to look to some people, not to get ahead of ourselves here, but because of how well they're playing, it's it's not hard to see this you know, really picking up steam because they are that noticeably improved uh, from where they were a month ago. Yeah, I think that's a good place to transition it, guys. We're going we're gonna to step away for, for break here. I do want to mention again, though, that Tennessee was held South Carolina to 0 for 9 on third down in the second half, just absolutely remarkable. But but you made a, a really good point there, Ryan, about how, you know, talking about some of the transition stuff. And, and, and I think that, that that's going to be a pretty good theme here in the second segment. So we're going to step away. We're going to pay some bills, listen to some products, ad services, all those good sorts of fun things, maybe the occasional in-house ad. And then we will uh, be right back to talk a little bit more about what this means for Tennessee's future. Hashtag ad. 
Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to the GoVols 24-7 podcast, brought to you by whatever uh, ads and products and services and things. You just heard a second ago, Wes Rucker, Patrick Brown, Ryan Callahan, coming to you from uh, different areas of this great city of Knoxville, Tennessee. Thanks to the majesty of Al Gore's internets. Thank you, Tennessee and Al Gore, for inventing those internets. We appreciate it, and it's made our lives a lot easier. So good good for you. Good for you, Senator. Uh, guys, th- this is... I guess I, sh- I, guess I, sh- I should say Mr. Vice President, right? That'd be like the best title he ever had. So yeah, he's Mr. Vice President. Guys, when you look at, at what this means for Tennessee, he- here's where I- I'm always really cautious with this program to not kind of to not get out too far in front of the skis because we we saw this with Auburn last year, we saw this with with Kentucky last year, but we also saw that when this team hit a wall at the end there was nothing it could do. And and there are things about this. I think this is a deeper team and I think it's a more resilient team and I think we're seeing both of those things as evidence right now. Uh, but I I wonder some of those injuries they picked up in that game, even if they're not super serious out for the season type of injuries, this team can't keep having those things happen because it's still a pretty fine line with this bunch. This is not an assembly line yet, guys. And this is also a place that last year they proved they weren't really great at at sustaining success. They could get success here and there, but they couldn't sustain it. And sustaining it can be harder than getting to it in the first place. And what I'm wondering now is going forward, starting with this week, and, and we'll be able to talk a little bit more about UAB later this week. Obviously, that's an opponent that people don't know a lot about, so we'll do everything we can to get you more information on, on the Blazers. But the bottom line is that's a team that, that's winning a lot more than it's losing. And so Tennessee's got to be on on point now. Tennessee can't let up. They, they cannot. And I think it'll be a message throughout the week. Remember how last season ended. Remember Georgia State when you're playing UAB. And the last couple of weeks of the season, just remember how how embarrassed you were at the end of last season. And I look at this team, and I think, guys, there's a couple things that really, really bother me still. One, uh, they're really thin in some areas that you don't want to be thin. They only have one completely healthy scholarship quarterback right now uh, that we know of. And, and two, this team is so bad in scoring position and so bad in the red zone that I have to think that's going to be a problem at some point. I mean, I know that they won that game by 20 points. They got 14 points on special teams. They left a lot of points out there offensively. And if they're not getting to the end zone through big plays, a lot of times they're not getting there. And that, to me, is a huge problem. Yeah, I thought it was interesting. Uh, Jeremy Pruitt did a uh, radio interview here in town on on Sunday night. Uh, I should say one of the topics was why he was at Gus's on Saturday night. Uh, and he had a pretty good answer about that because he said he was on his way home from the complex and his wife, who is, I believe, six months pregnant, is what he yes. said, uh, wanted some French fries. And so uh, she told him to go get some Gus's French fries. So if you were if you were at Gus's or you've seen on 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 Twitter dot com, uh, Pruitt rolling into Gus's, I, maybe he didn't know it would be that crowded at that point in night. It's usually crowded at that point in night, though. Oh, gosh, yes. Uh, That's that, when that a, a bacon it. cheeseburger, the lighter past midnight you are, the better that bacon cheeseburger yes. gets. 
agree. Uh, but the other thing, some of the other, you know, the overall tone of that interview was he was almost really downplaying how well they play. He was almost downplaying the win. Um, and I was thinking about this uh, Saturday night or, or Sunday, whenever it was. And uh, if Tennessee turns this around and gets to six and six or seven and five, if this would have been a Butch Jones team, you would have heard him talking about how what a great story it was. And Pruitt will just be like, yeah, it's good, but it's not, you know, we're not done. I'm not happy with it. Um, and it's just interesting to me that, that he's sort of downplayed it when it's being celebrated, and, and it should be celebrated. Teams should feel good about it. Yes. Um, I think it was important that they uh, – I, I think they took another small step against Alabama. When you go toe-to-toe with, with that team and that roster and that environment um, and hold more than hold your own, um, I, I think you can take some progress from it. But having said that, it would have been like taking one step forward, two steps back had they not beaten South Carolina. So they kind of rubber stamped this month of, of progress because this team, frankly, has looked like an entirely different team from the one we saw throughout most of September. So uh, for them to go out there and, and play like they did and win the way they did, I think it sort of validates a lot of the progress and the improvement that it's made. And, and in the short term, I think it's set up a chance where uh, they have to win three of four. And basically, you know, if you handle business against UAB, which you should, if you beat Vanderbilt at the end of the season like you should, you just have to get a split of, of two winnable games between – uh, Kentucky, who's doing a really good job of winning with a wide receiver playing quarterback, and then Missouri, who uh, looks terrible on the road but looks good at home, but will also have played Florida and Georgia before Tennessee rolls in there off an open date. So, uh, and and you've got more wiggle room as opposed to going into the month two and six, and you have to win all four. And and I don't think this team is deep enough or consistent enough to do that. So, uh, they've given themselves sort of a, an extra life there. Um, but if they get to six wins or seven wins after the way the season started, it'll, it'll be, I mean, it'll, it'll feel like an accomplishment. And, and certainly I think going into the season, if, um, I I think the expectation was just to get to a bowl, I think that would have been acceptable for a lot of people in the way that they would have done it with two, three, you know, potentially four sec wins. I mean, they still could finish third in the East, which is pretty remarkable when you consider where the season was not that long ago. Yeah, that's a great point. I, I mean, I don't think this is going to be much of a concern because you got to you got to win out to even think like this. But it's almost going to get to the point where if they if they continue to build on this, people are going to look back on Georgia State and BYU and think, man, no one was projecting more than six or seven wins. But look at what could have been if they had actually found a way to win one or both of those games. This could have been a really good year too under Jeremy Pruitt. But even if they get to just six or, or seven maybe, wins, maybe they wouldn't have learned some tough lessons if it, they had exactly. Exactly, which is why you can't play the what-if game. That might have ultimately made Tennessee a stronger program to go through that and to come out on the other side if that's if that's the way this turns out. But, yeah, I mean, you, you made some good points there. I mean, well, both of you. But, the, to, I mean, obviously Tennessee's still got a, got some flaws to, to worry about. And, and, Wes, you point out the, the concern concerning lack of depth at some positions. That still could absolutely be a factor down the stretch. That's one of the things Tennessee's going to have to to figure out a way to, to navigate these next couple weeks in particular if the quarterback depth is still an issue and uh, you know, if, if some of these uh, injuries start to mount at any other positions, you know, we'll, we'll see how those guys are on the offensive line. Uh, you know, if, uh, if, if Daryl Taylor didn't look like anything serious, but if that turns into anything, that would obviously be a major concern. Um, but I, I think they're okay there. So, you know, if any of this stuff turns into, you know, an, an injury problem at any position, that's certainly going to be an issue for this team because they have, they still have such little margin for error. Um, and this was a game where a lot of things went well for them. And, and I, I can't believe we just we went an entire segment without just 
uh, belabor at this point, but probably should acknowledge that Jawan Jennings had one of the best individual performances we've seen at Tennessee in quite some time. Yeah, it was, was it, it was pure. It, it was dominant and it was unbelievable. Yeah, certainly one of the big reasons Tennessee was able to win that game the way it did, but give the quarterbacks credit and the offensive line and everyone else for making that possible. But yeah, they, that's one of the things they've figured out is, uh, and, and as you said earlier, Wes, you know, they had their best players needed to be their best players, and and they've started to do that a little bit more consistently. And Jawan Jennings is at, right at the top of that list. He's he's having a great year. He's got a chance at a thousand yard season now, which is which is just nuts uh, given what Tennessee's passing game has been for the most part. If he puts together that kind of year or even approaches a thousand yards, what an accomplishment that would be. And if he was on some better teams, we'd be talking about him as one of the all-time great receivers at Tennessee, and he's still going to climb the all-time career leader list uh, in receiving yards and uh, probably some other categories before it's all said and done. But, but yeah, this this team still has a long way to go. But this this obviously is, is starting to feel different, and and there there are many reasons for it, and um, you know many ways it still could end differently. But if if they keep this up, it's it's not hard to envision the season going about the way a lot of people would have expected, which is a step forward for Tennessee. And just think about how crazy that sounded a, a month ago. You know, we were thinking at one point, I mean, could Tennessee only win three or four games this year? I mean, is that really possible? And now it's looking like they still might be able to overcome all that and get to six or seven wins and have this be a nice year two and a nice step forward for Jeremy Pruitt's staff. Yeah. Here, here's where I start to get concerned though. And again, and, and, and I, I think that, some of you might be getting upset right now that I'm talking about this stuff, but I can guarantee you this is the exact stuff Jeremy Pruitt is talking about right now. Jeremy Pruitt 100% is sitting there talking about, guys, this red zone offense is terrible. Some of this decision-making is terrible. There are things you can watch on the film, and there's two non-negotiable things you got to do to win, right? You got to play hard. That's number one. And sometimes, you know, Rick Barnes has said several times that playing hard is a skill that not everybody has. But you got to play hard. That's non-negotiable. But then you have to play smart. And this team ha- has learned, has showed now, it has a physical toughness and it has a mental toughness. That's good. That's really good. You can't win without that. But they've got to get smarter in some areas. And, and, and maybe this is something that they can kind of pick up along the way. But, uh, again, I say this. They have got to get better in red zone and short yardage. They've just got to. They've got to figure out a way to do that. They've got to stop getting penalized. And again, you can say maybe Middleton shouldn't have been flagged for targeting there. Tough play. What could he have done differently? I understand that. Um, but there's also some penalties in that game that just didn't need to happen, and, and they did. And, and this team, you know, for this week in particular, you could say, let's just say this was, if you put the, this exact same quarterback situation uh, into a place like Alabama, where you were like, okay, you're going, you're just playing UAB this week. You can just go ahead and play JT Shroud. And, and let him make some mistakes and learn through them, and then you'll find a way to kind of win the game, and it'll be okay. Um, but if you're Tennessee, you really can't do that because you have to win this game and because you've got thin, thin, thin positions on that roster, and you have a smaller margin for error than I think most people still want to think about. So you have to you have to understand some things here, guys. They, they, they can play better. You know, that, that on Saturday – I'm telling you, that was not close to the best this team can play. They made some big plays, and that was huge. But their execution, they left some yards out there, they left some points out there, uh, and they made some mistakes that that if South Carolina had been playing better, you know, if Helensky had been able to complete some passes that he didn't have to throw the ball 150 miles an hour, you know, that's maybe a different game. 
So a lot of things this team can do better, and I think people need to understand that, and I think this team needs to understand that celebrate this win for 24 hours because it's a big deal, uh, but then you got to get you got to get better. Yeah, and, I, and like you said, Wes, I, I think I would expect that to be the message from, from Pruitt this week. It was his message uh, in, in that interview that I mentioned earlier on, on Sunday night. He said, you know, talked about how they they weren't even close to perfect and brought up some of those situations that you mentioned. The, you know, they gave a, t- a touchdown on the first play of the game. I don't think Pruitt was said, I don't think he's ever had that happen to him. Um, you know, but that was a, a bad, bad play by the defense, but they bounced back from it. Uh, you know, the fourth and the goal at the one, they have a play. Um, and, and it was it was done as soon as uh, you know about as soon as it got started it was done because Dominic Wood Anderson was either held or tripped or whatever you want to call it. Uh, you, you can't squander those kind of opportunities on a weekly basis and expect to win a bunch you know string a bunch of wins together in a row. Um, you know they they gave up another late touchdown right before half. They've done that a couple in a couple games this season where um, you give up some momentum at the end of the first half um, and they gave up two in, in the second quarter. Uh, on Saturday and then um, you know late in the game you know I think he would have liked to have seen them finish the game more on offense there a little bit with the four minute uh, you know with running the ball and picking up first downs and eating clock I think he would have liked to have seen more uh, those situations and we've seen a situation where Tennessee yeah, they, didn't they beat BYU didn't if they ex- do that yeah exactly and, and they, they did it against Mississippi State but they didn't do it against BYU so um, you know that, those are those are areas that he's going to point out and, and in terms of this particular week um UAB is going to be a team that he's very familiar with because he's very familiar with that coaching staff. And um, UAB has been a, just a double story from being dead for two years. And then two years after that, they won 11 games, won Conference USA. They're 6-1 and one this year. Uh, their schedule has been a breeze this year, it must be said. Um, but over the last 21 games, I think they're 17-4. and four. I mean, that's a program that has uh, a winning mentality to its core. Uh, they're coming off an open date, and they're going to think they're going to, you know, they're going to think they can come in and, and win. Um you know that that was about the only thing they didn't do last season was I think their 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 buy game was Texas A&M they got beat pretty good but um, yeah I think if you're Pruitt you're you're gonna be keeping your guys on edge this weekend uh, and and you're gonna you know you have to manage them because this will be your fifth game in a row you're coming off four hard SEC games so you don't want to run them into the ground to where they're you know they're kind of leggy and kind of tired but uh, you need to make it clear that uh, yeah that was a good win but. It's just one win, you know. It's just one game of, of twelve this season. They've got four more chances this season. They still got to win three if they want to uh, make their, you know, continue their season and, and get an extra game and, and get a bowl game. Yeah, and that and that's that's one of the reasons I think, like you said, Jeremy Pruitt sort of downplayed this because I think he knows they're, I mean, they're they're going to be more challenging games down the stretch certainly than what than what Tennessee had Saturday, uh, and they they're there were some things that happened in that game that are going to be tough to duplicate in some ways. I mean, you're not going to have two special teams touchdowns in every game and you're not going to play turnover free football. And that, that was maybe the anomaly of that game. No turnovers on either and, side, and not, right? Not, not even, well, I think South Carolina may have fumbled once, but didn't lose it or something. They, they there yeah. was uh, something, but, but, but Tennessee did not even did, didn't fumble a single time either. Yeah. No turnovers with, in a game where you played three different quarterbacks, uh, including Juwan Jennings. And, and one of them was the guy who's been your number three for, for pretty much all season. So to, to have that be the case in a game like that, that you had to win, that's impressive, but it's going to be hard to, to repeat that obviously down the stretch. So it's not hard to envision. You take away those special teams touchdowns and look right there. It's already a one possession game. If you're doing the what if game, and then you throw in a turnover, you know, if they had had one or even two, it's a totally different game. So if Tennessee doesn't play that sharply, if they don't execute as well, 
in any of these games down the stretch, they easily could lose any of them or all of them. So they're going to have to stay on edge. And Jeremy Pruitt's got to continue to reinforce that message to his players because they can't, you know, as easy as it is to project forward that Tennessee is going to be able to continue this because they've played well now for a few weeks in a row. It, it, you can't get that mentality with a team like this because they really could lose in any given week just as easily as they could win. So they're, they're going to have to stay sharp. And, and again, they've got to have some breaks go their way. They need to stay healthy at a lot of these positions where they're thin, um, not have any, any really crippling injuries. And they need to continue to do some of the things they've done well. And, and if, if they slip, you know, have any slippage in any of those areas, it could be a big problem for them. And you're right, Wes, the red zone offense is one of the things that maybe has to improve if they are going to run the table somehow. That I, I don't think they can do it playing the way they have been in the red zone lately. They're fortunate to have won uh, Saturday by 20 points playing that way, and they've got to still improve that if they want to win out, I think, down the stretch. Yeah, and one more number here, guys. Tennessee's average third down distance to go in that football game was 8.7. And I can tell you right now that uh, you are almost never going to beat an SEC team by 20 points with averaging 8.7 yards to go on third down. That's just that, yeah. that, that there's a lot of things that they that they need to do better and that they probably um, they have a chance to do better because I think they have the ability on this team to do some of those things. They just have to, you know, it's just like the culture overall. You just got to figure out a way to execute. You got to bear down when you need to. And, hey, I mean, say this much for them. I mean, they've got a couple of great senior wide receivers, and that helps you in third and long because those guys are great football players. But here's what's interesting to me now this week, guys. We've got a couple more things to talk about in this segment before we step out of here. Is One, um, Ryan, we're going to get to recruiting here in just a minute, but, but I think we do need to mention this quarterback situation because Jared Garantano is going to have surgery uh, on, I think, is it Monday morning, guys? Monday morning? This I think he had it Sunday. Yeah. Oh, no. So he had it. Yeah. Okay. He had it Sunday. So he's, he's had the procedure and they think he's going to be out there, maybe available to play this week. I guess that's not his throwing hand, but he's still got to take snaps. He's still got to do some things. I mean, that's still kind of tough, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, you'll be taking snaps. You'll be handing off. Um, could be hard handing off with your left hand if you got a cast on it. Um, I, I don't know what the situation is with Brian Maurer. I think it's probably too early in the week to know at this point. We'll, we'll get more updates from um, Pruitt throughout the week. But uh, I, I would think if he was – and Maurer was in uniform and warming up on Saturday, but I don't know how much I'd read into that necessarily. Just the, the nature of head and neck injuries can be kind of finicky, and you, you just never really know how those are going to uh, kind of solve themselves. But, uh, yeah, I mean, they, they could – they could potentially be down to Stroud and have him uh, the whole game, but I think he he obviously surpassed a lot of expectations. Can you coax that out of him again for second week? I don't know. Uh, if you stick to some of the things you did last week with some pistol and uh, giving him, you know, taking some of the pressure off of him with Juwan Jennings, getting some Wildcat snaps, uh, you could probably expand that if you needed to during the week. If you think you're going to be down to just those two guys, um, then you, know, you, you could, but. Uh, we'll just have to see how Garantano goes through the week. Obviously, you know, it's hard to play quarterback with one bad hand. I'm not saying it's not been done before, but uh, if he's got to wear a cast or something on that hand, it could be uh, troublesome. Maybe he can't go under center uh, or what have you. So uh, that's just something they're going to have to be managing throughout the week, and they'll have to do it sort of like they did going into uh, into the South Carolina game where they just kind of have to piece it together and, and play to the strengths of each of their guys and just kind of go from there. Yeah, and, and while we're at it – you got to give credit to Jarrett Garantano for dealing with what he dealt with uh, at, at Alabama a week earlier in the aftermath of that. And, 
and and bouncing back and and Jeremy Pruitt's continued to say that Tennessee was going to need him to win some games and for him to do what he did uh, this week was really impressive and and give a lot of credit to Jeremy Pruitt too. I, you know we obviously saw JT Shroud in this game, but I think it became pretty obvious what was happening um, that he essentially just started JT Shroud I think to keep keep from throwing Jarrett Garantano into a pretty ugly situation. What 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 might have been you know with the you know fans booing and potentially and all that it sort of uh, you know, downplayed all that when you just throw him out there to start another series in the middle of a game. So uh, I think he kept him in a more manageable situation. And once he was in there, he was he was clearly the guy until he was injured and then they had to go back to Shroud. So uh, give everybody involved a lot of credit and give Garantano credit, especially for handling that situation well, talking about it after the game, and I think handling it really well too under those circumstances. Uh, but yeah, this week his health is, a, is at least in question. And, and Maurer, you know, those concussion deals, you know, when, when you've had back-to-back, if that's what it was, uh, back-to-back concussions, uh, anything to that effect. It, it's something that isn't necessarily just a one-week absence. We don't know yet what his situation is, and it might be kind of a day-to-day thing just to see how he responds and when he's you know, ultimately cleared by doctors. So uh, that, that's a, that's a touch-and-go situation. I don't think we really have any idea what his status will be this week. There's certainly no guarantee he's back um, within just the next few days, and it's something to, to certainly worry about if you're a Tennessee fan, uh, just what, what their quarterback situation will be, and, and are they going to need J.T. Shrout to win them a game? Yeah, and Ryan, before we step out of here, I, I do think I, I need to mention that what's funny is that, and I don't know if funny is the right word, but you know everything for Tennessee football had, had gone pretty darn well this week. You know, picked up three commitments on the same night from some from, from those uh, that Whitehaven trio of linebackers that, that they like a lot, and had a really great performance there on Saturday. Got a big win. Uh, and then some less than ideal uh, recruiting news in the aftermath of that, though. Yeah, uh, losing uh, B.J. Ojolari, the four-star defensive end linebacker from uh, from Marietta High School down in Georgia, obviously a teammate of Harrison Bailey, the four-star quarterback commitment, and and teammate, maybe more importantly, of five-star LSU commitment, Eric Gilbert, who just announced his decision on Wednesday uh, during his uh, All-American Bowl jersey presentation. And, and not as a direct result of that, but leading up to that announcement, Ojolari had been talking with LSU about an official visit this past weekend. As it turned out, that visit apparently didn't happen. Um, you know, everything we've continued to hear since Saturday afternoon suggests he did not make the trip to Baton Rouge, which makes it even but regardless. Uh, I was just going to say, regardless. I, I mean, uh, LSU do, does manage to get him on Sunday, so he decommits from Tennessee and and, and immediately just uh, just flips to LSU. And for Tennessee to uh, to lose lose a guy like that, it's a blow. They they need edge rusher edge rusher help badly. Uh, obviously, Daryl Taylor on his way out after this year. They've they've not really fully addressed that position in the last couple of recruiting classes, and and for them to to lose a guy like that, they're now kind of back to square one. And and really, it, it just makes it more important for them to get a guy locally like Tyler Barron over at Knoxville Catholic High School, four star in state guy. They they really just have to get a guy like that if 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 a guy like Ojolari can't be part of this class. So uh, that's that's definitely a blow to Tennessee, but it was still a, a pretty good weekend for them. Had some important official visitors in like Jay Hardy. Omari Thomas, uh, and, and I think made some progress with some some unofficial visitors like like Tyu Jones Bell, the the Alabama receiver commitment, getting him back in. So, pretty good weekend for them overall. But that certainly was a, a little bit of an unexpected blow for Tennessee to lose a guy like Ojolari in the aftermath of their most impressive win of the season. Yeah, it was weird to me that that maybe he didn't make the trip and yet he made the commitment anyway. That was interesting. Yeah, but but but, maybe... but but I think we should note Ryan that, that it's not like this is a completely new team for him. You know, LSU have been in that thing for a long time. They had, and that, and that when it came, you know, when, when it came down to time to, for him to decide in August, there was one point leading up to his decision that we thought it was going to be LSU. So uh, Tennessee sort of 
you know, turned that one late leading up to his announcement and, and was able to land him back in August. But LSU was very much in it. And when we spoke with him in early October, you know, he said it was still the same teams that he was considering leading up to his announcement, LSU, Auburn and Georgia, that all had stayed on him. Uh, and I think, you know, as it turned out, the relationship with Gilbert, um, you know, his teammate there was a was a big deal to him, I think. I don't think that's the only thing that pushed it in LSU's favor, but when that's a school you already like, when LSU is obviously playing well, they're a really hot team right now nationally, number one in the country now in the AP Top 25. When you've got a team like that and a teammate who's a really close friend of Ojolari's goes to LSU, I think it makes it really easy that, you know, without a visit, he was clearly, it's a place he visited twice earlier this year. He's, he's clearly feeling LSU, so... Uh, it's it's not surprising that it happened, but the timing certainly a little bit surprising. Uh, and, and obviously, Tennessee's success or lack thereof didn't have much to do with it. I think it was more about LSU and what he sees there than than about necessarily Tennessee, you know, having struggled early the season or anything like that. And we'll see. They're kids. You never know how things shake out because they're yeah. they're kids and it's recruiting, and you never know, guys. Before we step out of here, uh, is there anything that I did not ask either one of y'all that y'all want to talk about? Pat, do you want to gloat again about picking the game? Yes, I do. I just want to point out that, again, I was uh, Grant and I, and Grant will be up in the next segment. I, I suppose you'll ask, give him the same opportunity. Uh, no, I will not. 100% will not. Uh, well, <laughs> you should. Um, uh, we're sticking, we're sticking to I basketball. Also, I also like to point out it was a good sports Sunday for me with Liverpool beating Tottenham, and then uh, the Grizzlies getting their first win of the season on a buzzer-beating three in overtime, plus Jaw had 30 and, like, nine assists. That was pretty sweet. Yeah, and the Titans got a win in spite of their coach again. Yeah, so no one cares. Fun. Yeah, <laughs> and, I, and now I'm going to have to talk to Ramey about no football at all, and I mean no European football either because of the Crystal Palace-Arsenal game that really felt like a loss even though it was a it was a draw. So, uh, a guys, tie. Did you guys kiss and then kiss your sisters? Uh, no, um, because I have a sister and he can't touch her, and um, uh, he does not have a sister, so we can't. So it's unfortunate. But, guys, uh, I guess I'll, we'll step away and uh, – We'll step away and go take some, go pay some bills, uh, get some ads, uh, listen to some product services, all those good things, and then we will be back in just one second. Hashtag. Ad. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Welcome back to the Go Balls 24-7 podcast brought to you by whatever products, ads, services, all those things that you just heard or did not hear a second ago. Uh, as promised earlier in the show, we, we try to make this a democracy. We believe in, in letting everyone take part in this, uh, kind of like a, maybe an AYSO soccer team, which is sort of what Arsenal and Crystal Palace look like on Sunday afternoon in London. Uh, we are going to bring in Grant Ramey because we let everyone speak on this podcast. Grant, uh, you picked Tennessee like Pat did uh, to beat South Carolina. The floor is yours. Well, let's just let's just get it out of the way. Pat Pat 
join me uh, kind of in the spoils of victory this week. He wasn't there a couple weeks ago. I am two for two in the last uh, two Tennessee home games, picking the underdog uh, to win outright. So uh, I might go to Vegas. Y'all can start calling me a, a sharp or whatever they call those guys out in Vegas. Uh, feeling pretty good right now. I'm going to try to stay humble. Uh, it's a difficult task, though. Yeah, uh, so uh, your thoughts on uh, Tennessee basketball not being in the uh, preseason AP poll but in the coaches' poll? Uh, is there anything you need to tell them? Since you're a sharp, is there anything you need to tell people about that? Uh, I, will, I don't know enough yet. I need to uh, I need to review the tape and the numbers. Uh, I'm not quite as sharp there. Uh, but, man, that Tennessee football team, uh, pretty incredible. I mean, I, I don't know. I didn't really have a gut feeling one way or the other about that game. Uh, I, I felt like maybe if Tennessee could kind of recreate some of the stuff defensively that they did against Mississippi State, that they would be in a good place against South Carolina. Obviously, South Carolina went to Georgia and won. That was pretty incredible. Uh, they played really well, or they, they had a lead on Florida. It was really competitive. Uh, in the first half of that game, there was a ton of rain in Columbia, so that changes a little bit for that game. But uh, when I got home after that game, after the Tennessee uh, won the way it did, um, what's kind of crazy, it hit me, that game started with a 75-yard touchdown pass for South Carolina. It sure did. Uh, and not long after that, Tennessee failed on a fourth and one at the goal line, which was a huge kind of turning point, it felt like, like that was going to go against Tennessee. They uh, they had a big jumbo package in there. They go play action. They throw it out of the back of the end zone after the tight end. I don't know if he got tripped or held or whatever happened in the end zone, but just the way they, uh, they turned everything around and, and the way this team, uh, obviously, you know, what happened at Alabama happened, but the way they seem to be clicking in some of these moments, like they did against Mississippi State on the defensive side of the ball, uh, what they did against South Carolina, whether it was Jared Garantano, what a resurgent performance for that kid, a really incredible story. Even JT Stroud, when he had to come in, I mean, another injury to another quarterback, uh, looks like it's more bad luck for Tennessee, and JT comes in and puts a 55-yard dime on Marquez Callaway, who's running open over the middle. So the way they did it, special teams, defense, uh, a little bit of everything is pretty incredible. Yeah, I also think they need to send a care package and a thank you card to South Carolina safeties because, uh, uh, you know, if they were giving an Oscar speech, they'd have been like, this would not have been possible without you. Right. Uh, because, yeah, South Carolina's got some some issues there at safety, which is weird because it's a must-champ defense. Um, but there were so many things. And like we talked about with the other two guys, you know, when they were here, the other two yahoos a minute ago, you know, we, we were talking about how Tennessee, there were so many things in that game that the Vols could have done better. I mean, it's not like they played perfectly. It's not like they got every break. There were three or four really tough calls that went against them. They had the 75-yard touchdown. They missed on the fourth and, and, and goal there. They gave up a touchdown to, to kind of change the momentum there before the half. So many things happened that in the past we've seen Tennessee kind of wilt and you know, die on the vine. And, and this time, nothing like that. I mean, they, they, they kind of answered the bell, which was just shocking to me. Yeah, and this is the same team that, that started the season one and four, and everybody left them for dead, and for good reason. I mean, they were they were rather lifeless at Florida uh, not too long ago, and they they got uh, they got to put uh, put on them pretty good by Georgia after uh, after they punched a little bit early on in that game with Brian Maurer when when he finally kind of got let loose a little bit. But uh, what they've done against Mississippi State, the way that defensive played that game, uh, what they did, I mean, they were a yard away from. Uh, make it into one score game with eight minutes left at Alabama and, and, and Garantano does what he does. And uh, that game ends the way it ends. And he has to stand up in front of his teammates and his uh, coaches and apologize the next day. Uh, and he comes out the next week and he's throwing dimes and, and he gets hurt and, you know, surgery and all that stuff. And who knows when he's, what will be back and how they handle this quarterback situation from here. But 
the job these players have done and the job the coaches have done to get them to this point after as you know abysmal as it was the first five six weeks of the season uh it's pretty remarkable and we got a lot of a lot of football to talk about and we're going to obviously keep doing that we're going to talk about that uh, on the Thursday podcast, we're going to talk about that a lot more going forward. Clearly, Tennessee football is is looks like it's finally heading in a better direction. But Grant, one of the reasons we absolutely had to to bring you on this podcast, whether you wanted to or not, we we drug you over here for this. Uh, Tennessee basketball begins play this week, and and this is, I'm telling you, buddy, the next two months are probably. I'm not going to speak for you. I'll ask you, but for me, it's probably the longest two months of the year. I love them. Uh, but man, when, when both these sports overlap, that's a that's a lot of work. But Tennessee basketball starts Wednesday night uh, with an exhibition against Eastern New Mexico. What do we expect to see? Uh, you expect to see a whole lot of nothing, honestly. Uh, I mean, you, what's exciting, I guess, for fans of this team is is kind of the unknown. You know what you're getting, Jordan Bowden. You know what you're getting in Lamonte Turner. At least you you have in your head what you think you should be getting out of those guys because you've watched them do it for the last four years. Uh, but there's so many questions that this team has to answer after uh, after having so much continuity and so much success over the last two three seasons. Uh, here you are starting over. Uh, who knows who's doing what in the post? Who steps up? Uh, who I mean, who's the starting five? That's, that that would be hard enough to predict just for an exhibition game. Good point. Uh, but you got you know you got a five star kid to watch and Josiah Jordan James. I know everybody's excited about him. He has dealt with a little bit of a hip issue during the preseason and. Uh, be interesting to see how many minutes he gets, uh, and you can just kind of go down the list from there. How does he kind of fit in with that veteran backcourt and Bowden and Lamonte? How does uh, he distribute the basketball, and and who are the guys they go to in the post? Olivier Camois, the freshman power forward, uh, Euros Plasic still doesn't know if he's eligible or not for the regular season. I mean, uh, so many questions. That's that's going to be the fun thing about this team, uh, or it could be a frustrating thing if you're Rick Barnes or a Tennessee fan is trying to figure out who this team is over the first, you know, four, six weeks of the season because it's a really tough non-conference schedule uh, and it's a really young basketball team in a lot of ways. Yeah, and it's hard to imagine this, but, but you know, we're sitting here on, on Monday morning, two days away from Tennessee's first exhibition game and, and really only one because they did the first one, the annual game against Davidson uh, behind closed doors. But, you know, we're, one, we're, we're two days away from the exhibition uh, finale, I guess you could say, and we're eight days away from the regular season opener against UNC Asheville, and, and Tennessee does not know, does not know whether one of, maybe one of its most important players will be allowed to play. That's, I mean, I know that, that Barnes has been around the the block for a while. I know that he's he's built teams different ways. I know he has plans either way, but man, that's got to be tough to kind of figure out who you are and what you are when you don't know that. Yeah, and it's uh, I think Jeff Goodman has been tracking uh, these these transfer kind of waiver statuses on Twitter, uh, and I looked the other day, and I think he had something like uh, forty eight guys had heard back, you know, eight guys had been denied, and there were like seventy guys still waiting. Uh, and you're sitting here thinking, man, college basketball is you know what ten days away, and there's still seventy guys trying to figure out, am I going to be able to play? There's still 70 teams trying to figure out how am I going to use this person? Is he going to be available? Is he not going to be available? So, uh, yeah, you have to wonder how much Arizona State's cooperating or kind of what the uh, what the process, how it's being slowed down, uh, or if it's just uh, the NCAA dragging its feet to get around to it. But uh, Tennessee is going to be a drastically different basketball team if Urosh Plasic is eligible or if he's not eligible. They need that guy, obviously, in the post. 
uh, with as many guys as they lost over the offseason. You need that seven-foot rim protector guy you can rely on in the back of the defense, somebody that can run uh, and is very much a, a Euro big man who, who has yes. a little bit of stretch to his game. So uh, that's a huge that's a huge kind of hanging out on a limb, not knowing what's going to go down. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't, the first time I watched him play, like I'm not saying that I left the arena being like, oh, man, that's a lottery pick. Uh, but, but I did see a lot more than I thought I would from him. And I saw enough to where I already wondered why Arizona State redshirted him because he seems to be a guy at that size with that kind of mobility. I get that maybe there's things about the game he's still learning, but, man, he can score with either hand. He, he communicates really well on defense. He gets up and down the floor. He affects shots. Um, you know, he, he's very confident out there. If he doesn't know what he's doing, he doesn't show it uh, just because he's kind of a big, strong, confident guy and he's a mature kid, it sounds like. I just – Grant, he was better than I thought he was. I don't want to get people – I don't. you know, you always want to be careful in these situations because people will take this and be like, oh, man, this is a Final Four team. I, 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 slow down. But I think that, it, at least for me, he was better than I thought he was. Yeah, and I think he's a guy that I think by the when he got to Arizona State and by the time he had left, he had put on something like thirty pounds. So I don't know if he had the body, the physicality, whatever, uh, to get on the floor and stay on the floor. Uh, I'm not sure what he's listed at exactly right now. I think it's uh, seven feet. I don't know if he's two thirty, two forty, something like that. I mean, he's a big dude. Uh, and and one thing you mentioned, the talking on the floor. When he talked at media day, he said that's one of his favorite things to do is communicate. Uh, and try to orchestrate a little bit on the defensive end. And, and that, I mean, as much as you need a seven-footer uh, to protect the rim and to be somebody you can rely on the glass uh, on both ends of the floor, uh, you need that guy to communicate to. That's, that's something that Rick Barnes obviously harps on a ton is uh, communication on the floor. And uh, if he's there, if he's got a little bit of experience, uh, that goes a long way. Uh, and without him, you're wondering who's the guy that's going to be rebounding, who's the guy that's going to be a consistent rebounder, consistent rim protector, a consistent communicator down low and helping setting up your defense from the, from the back end. Have we told people yet the, the story of how he learned English? No, uh, just by <laughs> conversing. Yeah, he, he, did he, incredible. he just asked people, like, what, what, what is this? What is that? Yeah, he, he, he said his favorite, uh, his favorite sentence, sentence, basically, when he got to the United States was, what does that mean? Like, somebody would say something, he'd say, what's that mean? What 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 that, that mean? It. And, and it, it's amazing. And, and I think you take that for granted because I, I remember talking to Eve Pons about this. Um, is, is that he thought it was a big deal the first time he had a dream that was in English and not French, uh, because he was like, yeah. "Whoa, I'm starting to learn this now." And he said that it's hard to speak up at times because he's naturally kind of a quiet kid anyway. But that when when you're not a hundred and ten percent comfortable in a language. You know, you really don't want to speak up because you don't, you really don't want to say the wrong thing. You don't want to embarrass yourself. You know, you don't, it's just, it's a human reaction. And, and with what some of these Euro guys do, and the African guys too, in some cases, when, you know, the ones who speak French and other languages, and when, they, when they come over here and they learn, um, that's, that's a really not an easy thing to do at a really not an easy point in your life to do that. And, and I think a lot of them do an amazing job of that and they work hard, man. I mean, they're, they're picking up a language while they're trying to go to good schools. So that's really not an easy thing to do. And that's, that's impressive to me. Um, but Grant, before we step out of here, I, I do want to also, uh, we do need to mention the fact that for Tennessee football, it was a it was a big week in recruiting. Most of it good news. One piece of very not good news. Um, but with basketball, there was also a pretty couple pretty big time guys in here this weekend. 
Yeah, a huge, uh, really huge recruiting weekend for the Tennessee basketball program. When you look at, look ahead to the 2021 uh, recruiting cycle, obviously everything in that cycle is a year away, so uh, you kind of don't focus on it as much right now as you're, you're just now heading into November for the 2020 class and the, the fall signing period for those kids. Uh, and everybody wants to, you know, as excited as everybody is about Jaden Springer uh, and Keon Johnson and Corey Walker and, and what an incredible class that is for Tennessee. Uh, they turn around and they bring in two five stars uh, for the 2021 class, uh, and one of them is a, a power forward, Paulo Benchero out of Seattle, who's the number three player in the country. I mean, that's 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 his next level elite as it gets. Uh, and the guy beside him is a, a five star point guard, in state point guard from Briarcrest Christian in, in Memphis, Kennedy Chandler, who's uh, arguably the number one player on Tennessee's board in 2021. He's he's the priority guy that they got to land, uh, and getting those two guys on official visits during their junior years. Uh, it's a pretty huge win for Tennessee. And Paulo, Paulo did an interview during the summer at the, the Team USA minicamp uh, where he said, basically, I'm trying to get as far away from home as I can on these official visits and see what I need to see. Uh, it doesn't necessarily mean those five schools are his top five schools. Uh, he, he's, he's used official visits at Tennessee, Duke, Kentucky, North Carolina, and I believe he's going to Gonzaga. Uh, sometime in January, so that yeah. that gives you yeah, a kind of an yeah, idea. Yeah, reel off just that. Reel off that list again. Is. Reel off that list again. Duke, Kentucky, <laughs> Carolina, Tennessee, Gonzaga, <laughs> and it's th- th- this is what they're becoming right now. I mean, this is the level right. of guys they're recruiting. It's it's unbelievable. And have either one of those guys set any kind of a, a timetable for when they want to decide anything? No, I think they're taking their time, and they could be a package deal. I mean, I, I talked to Kennedy Chandler. Uh, Sunday afternoon and wrote a story that they want to they want to possibly play at the next level together and uh, right now the only official visit they have in common is at Tennessee and, and they took this visit uh, together for a reason because they clicked at the Team USA minicamp in Colorado uh, they play very well together on the floor they play very well off the floor together uh, it probably helps that Kennedy Chandler roomed for a week with Keon Johnson uh, at the Team USA minicamp so there, there's a ton of connections working in Tennessee's favor but for Paulo just based on the rankings where he is, it's a pretty huge win just getting him on campus. Uh, we'll see how, how much of a factor Tennessee stays with him down the road, uh, where they are a year from now, if they can get him back on campus for another visit. Uh, that would be huge. I think Kennedy Chandler is a guy they uh, they certainly have a legit shot to be there all the way to the end. This is a kid they can get. This could be the next big-name kid uh, that stays on Tennessee's radar, that, that Tennessee is – uh, there's a lot of continuity in this recruitment. Kim, Kim English, the new assistant coach at Barnes, hired in April. He's been to see he's been to Seattle three times to see Banchero already, and he's been to Memphis three times um, to see Kennedy Chandler already. He was there the Monday morning that the uh, recruiting cycle opened, the, the contact period opened. So that tells you what kind of priority they are. They could be a package deal at the next level, but getting them on campus and and it being a huge football weekend that helps. That was a really good atmosphere at Neyland Stadium Saturday night. They they watched a practice Saturday. They, you know, they did all the stuff that the basketball uh, visitors do. So it was a good weekend for them, and uh, there's a ton of momentum right now for Tennessee basketball on the recruiting trail. You think Rick Barnes tried to make him eat some of that, uh, eat some of that uh, North Carolina barbecue sauce? Probably. He that that's the thing about Rick. It doesn't matter who he has on campus. He'll 
he'll he'll take them to practice and tell them ten things he hates about their game, yes. opposed to five things he likes, and and they love it. They eat that stuff up. They want to be developed, and they want to they want to be put in the league. And, and speaking to that, Grant, before we step out of here, uh, a lot of lot of lot more Tennessee guys in the league now. It's been really interesting after you know watching these guys for for four years and kind of or three years in some cases, and 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 watching them develop and watching them come in and what they look like and you think just three and four years later you're flipping on the game and you can flip between ESPN and TNT and you, you see a lot of them out there. I mean, it's just – it's kind of crazy, you know, with that group of guys, isn't it? Yeah, and it was really cool uh, seeing Grant Williams on the floor and Tobias Harris and Josh Richardson. Uh, I think that was the second night of the NBA schedule. Uh, that's pretty cool. I mean, and, and if you, a funny thing to do, I did it Saturday night. If you search Grant Williams on Twitter – you'll just come up with a stream of these Celtics fans and Celtics analysts and, and guys that cover the Celtics. And it's like they're discovering the same things about Grant Williams that Tennessee basketball fans discovered uh, as he got on the floor, that the dude is six six, but he can play the five and he makes a ton of winning plays and he just does everything uh, that you want uh, a basketball player to do. And, and it's incredible watch. And, and if you look at Admiral Schofield, too, with the Wizards, he's been productive, uh, not scoring a ton, obviously, but he's been a little bit efficient a little bit more efficient uh, these last couple of games. But, yeah, seeing those guys pop up, it's been fun. Jordan Bone is with the Pistons, but he's on a two-way contract, so he's been uh, he's not been active. He's been traveling with the team, but he's not active uh, on the bench. So he may be headed to the G League soon or something like that. But uh, it's a lot of fun watching those guys after watching them at Tennessee the last few years. I think that's a very, very excellent point. And, and uh, it's interesting to see uh, Schofield, too, his second guy off the bench there for the, for the Wiz in that first game. So that was – that was pretty interesting. Yeah, it's 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 fun. It's it's weird. It's kind of surreal watching those guys after you watched them up close for so long. But uh, they worked their tails off, and, and now they're they're reaping the benefits. Grant, I think uh, is there anything else you do? You want to glow up one more time before we step on out of here? Is there anything else you want to say about how 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 just ingenious your your decisions have been lately? I just want to thank my family for the support. Uh, I want to thank the GoVols 247 checkerboard community for all their support over the, uh, the last couple of weeks. Uh, they've really been the, the, the support that I needed and, and helped me pick the games right. And uh, if I ever get a game wrong, let's just uh, let's sweep that under the rug and just remember the good times. <laughs> That's a good point, man. Well, Grant, I think I'm going to step on out of here now and uh, call, this a, uh, call this a podcast. But, uh, but thanks for joining us, buddy. Yeah, pleasure's all mine. Guys. Thanks as always for tuning in. Thanks to uh, and again we're figuring out some of these audio issues here. We've got uh, we got Ryan's uh, situation there technologically. We're going to try to fix that because everyone else's stuff works fine, but for some reason his just hasn't. I'm going to let y'all put two and two together on that one. You can find all of us on social media. I'm Wes Rucker, 24-7 on Twitter. Grant Ramey is Grant Ramey on Twitter. Ryan Callahan is Ryan Callahan, 24-7 on Twitter. Patrick Brown is P. Brown, 24-7 on Twitter. You can find all of us also at twitter.com slash govals247 and facebook.com slash govals247 where Ramey does an excellent job, truly excellent job running our Facebook page there. Or if you want to go directly to the source, directly to the source, guys, you can go right now to govals247.com and we have got an excellent, excellent, excellent subscription special right now. One of our best of the year. Go there, govals247.com. Check it out. I'm telling you, 365 days in a year, these next couple days are going to be maybe the best deal that we offer during that time. So go go check that out. And if you uh, if you don't, that says more about you than us. And I'm 
I don't, I don't feel bad for, for saying that. I think I'm just speaking truth there. Go check us out. Come on. It's less than one cheap lunch a month. Go do it, cheapskates. But thanks for reading anyway. And thanks for listening to this podcast. We'll see you all in a couple of days.